everyone. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. Prepare to have your thinking challenged and your mind blown a little bit with today's episode. I had an insightful conversation with Linda Riddell. She is Vice President of Strategic Initiatives with the Validation Institute. She's a population health scientist, a poverty educator, and an independent validator with over 30 years of experience in healthcare, public and private health insurance, and health policy. And she specializes really in looking at this whole idea of scarcity and our brains and poverty. She's the founder of a company called Health Economy, and she created this incredible game that is educational called Get and Buy, which we're going to talk about. And this came after studying the effects of scarcity on our brains. And this Get and Buy game is really meant for people whose work affects those with low income and working in poverty, such as teachers and legislators and medical care providers. But really, I think your eyes will be opened of thinking of how much we're not considering and how unhelpful we possibly are being when working with people or trying to support people or help people who happen to be living in poverty and what that does to our brain and cognitive load. And it just, it literally will blow your mind. And so I hope you walk away from this with some newfound appreciation and awareness and rethinking how you approach things and really thinking about how you in your everyday interactions and particularly in your business activities and work world can be more inclusive, more helpful, and a little less judgmental. Hope you enjoy. Well, Linda, thank you so much for being here. I am super, super excited for what you've been up to since we last connected, and I am really excited to bring this work to our listeners. Great. Excited to be here. So when we met, you were doing primary work with the Validation Institute and looking at population health metrics, and there's still a whole bunch of really great stuff there. But the stuff you've been working on recently, I think... It's all relevant, but in particular with getting by, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it's so relevant to what's going on in our society and the glaring light that has been shown on disparities and with what's happened with the pandemic and just the wealth gap. And I just think what you're doing is so, so incredible. And so before we get into that, I want to talk about how you got into getting by and what teed it up. And so you've done a ton of research looking at what happens in our brains around this idea of scarcity mindset as well as cognitive load? And I would love if you just share some of that knowledge and insights with, with me and with our listeners. Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is that we all experience different types of scarcity at different times. And one of the gifts, so to speak, of the pandemic is that we all face a common scarcity of certainty. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, Nothing is certain. So, yeah, yeah for sure. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And things that didn't take up any effort, any mental effort, say stopping at the grocery store and picking up toilet paper, uh, now required effort and uh, brain space, you know, cognitive. So, we all have different kinds of scarcity. Um, the experience of somebody living in poverty is chronic scarcity um, and chronic overload. So when you are um, have a major deadline, a presentation, 
a uh, oral defense of your thesis, something like that. Your brain tunnels on that. Anything that's not relating to that falls outside the tunnel. So you may find yourself arriving at your presentation or, or your big meeting or whatever it is, and suddenly thinking, do I have to brush my teeth? <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you know? Uh, or, um, you know, you might snap at your child who's uh, dilly-dallying on their way out the door because you need to get to this meeting. The fact that they can't find their shoes is in your way, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, so that, that's a type of, of scarcity that we can all, at all income levels, experience and, and relate to. What a person living in poverty experiences is that their mental tunnel is always crowded. So it's, it's survival competing with survival. And what, um, if it fits in the tunnel, it's in today, it's immediate, it's urgent, it has to be decided today. Are you um, going calling sick to work because your child's having an asthma attack? Um, those kinds of things. So um, what's crowded out of the tunnel is long-term thinking, cost-benefit. Um, so my, my best example is smoking. Uh, and I'm, I'm an epidemiologist and I, you know, hang around, we kind of call them public healthies. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I have a public health degree, but I really don't use it because my uh, favorite class in my public health master's was management leadership and healthcare and actually hated epidemiology. So I know I got the wrong degree. But I totally get it. So anyway, there's an aside if anyone want to know. Got the wrong degree, but still did something with it. Who are forever banging this drum of how we can improve everyone's health if they would quit smoking and start eating more carrots. Um, so if, if your tunnel is crowded with everything happening today, something calming is very valuable to you. And nicotine is calming. Yep. Um, what's not in your tunnel is some future date where you might get sick. That's not in your tunnel. Um, and a lot of people, I, you know, interviews I read and research that I do, um, low-income people will say, I don't expect to live that long. <laughs> um, I'm not worried about long cancer. I don't expect to live that long. Um, so trying to get someone to quit smoking based on a future benefit is never going to work for a low income population. Well, the I think that's so, yeah. And you know, there's so much about that. That's fascinating that I, that I want to unpack, but it kind of reminds me of almost the, the cognitive development stage of adolescence, right? Where we can't see, can't see beyond it. And it's just part of that right. cognitive stage. But the other thing is I think about how much of, I mean, obviously I grew up in the worksite wellness world and there's so much broken there, but how much that whole field is based on trying to get people to care about something that is long-term when they're not really looking at like, I'm miserable in my job. I'm miserable in my relationship. I'm stressed out. You know, I'm living in poverty, like all the different things that you said, like that crowd, crowd that tunnel. Right. And then if you add poverty on top of it, it just exacerbates and makes all that stuff worse and, and not really 
having what, what the Arbinger Institute calls an outward mindset to go, what is actually happening for that person versus like, I think you should do this. And it, and anyway, so I just think that's so fascinating. The other thing that makes me want, wonder is, is I just think about like looking at the varied responses to the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, am I going to wear a mask or am I not? Or am I going to mm-hmm. listen to the professionals or am I not? You mm-hmm. know, and, and all that goes with that. I, I think that we can pass judgment on some people about that they're stubborn or they're this or they're that. And, you know, have we really looked at that? It may literally be that you said their tunnel is so full. They cannot process or make a decision or think about one more thing. And I don't think that we consider that. It's just so easy for us to lob judgments at people. Yes. And that's really what inspired me to pursue this. I had specialized in poverty as as an epidemiologist, but what I knew from my studies and has been studied and proven is that um, the social environment is more important to a person's health status than their medical care. Um, and I have long said that given a choice, I would rather give a low-income person's car a tune-up than get, give them a routine physical. That yeah. would have more impact on their on their health. And so but just like you say, we, we love these judgments and say, oh, well, if they would just stop smoking, their health would be better. It's not true. <laughs> or if they would just eat, you know, organic foods that they can't afford or pay their rent, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like. Yeah. In yeah. fact, there, there was a study um, done that had, I think it was the Mediterranean diet. Um, they had low income people and higher income people both go on the Mediterranean diet as a research study. And the low-income people did not get nearly the heart health benefit, and I can't bring to mind how they measured it, that the high-income people did. Makes perfect sense. They still have 9,000 other things <laughs> um, weighing upon their health status. Yeah. A few more carrots is not going to not not going to cut it. Yeah. You know? I mean, I like my, I, you know, I like my better night vision and, you know, vitamin A and whatever else comes from carrots, the next yeah. person, but seriously. Right. Well, yeah, so, you know what? So there, there's a couple things that I, I so appreciate about you digging into this and looking at the research and bringing this to light for people. The first thing that comes to mind is in an earlier episode, I had a wonderful conversation with Safwan Shah who founded pay active and he, you know, talks mm-hmm. about really trying to help low income workers get access to their funds sooner rather than the the payday loan industry and stuff. And he's just really developed a really wonderful solution. And he talks about how many millions of Americans are living in poverty and that couldn't, you know, not only are living paycheck to paycheck, living in poverty and couldn't afford a $400 emergency and just how that's grown even more since the pandemic. And so that this is relevant to so many people that we may not think about because, you know, Mm -hmm. if we're living in privilege or we don't associate those people or we haven't thought about, or we're in a bubble, you know, you probably have people very near and dear to you that this is impacting that you don't realize it. And the second thing that it made me think about is when we think about, so I'm just going to say for timing of this, I live in Minneapolis, the Derek Chauvin trial is about to start. It'll be, you know, for murdering George Floyd. And, you know, with everything that's gone on this past year with the, uh, the newfound energy, rightfully so, into looking at the systemic racism and bias and really starting to pay attention to this more and looking at Black Lives Matter and all of that. You know, last summer, I was fortunate enough to sit on a lecture virtually with um, Ibram Kendi, the author of How to Be a 
anti-racist. And he suggested that, you know, when we start looking at stuff as a race issue, he said, we need, we're labeling it wrong and we need to look at it as a poverty issue. Because when you look at these disparities in race, it's a systemic thing about people living in poverty who then by the nature of how our systems have been designed, like with redlining and access to stuff and who gets mortgages and all of that stuff that's so embedded in our history, it actually fundamentally comes down to poverty. And if you look, primarily people of color are living in these areas of poverty as well. So it's just, when you think about the social determinants of health, there's just so much that kind of gets wrapped into it and it's multifaceted, but poverty is a central, central thing that, that is so prevalent. And what I love about the work that you're doing is it's bringing in the, the human biology and resonating. It's not just give somebody, you know, money because there's other forms of scarcity. Like you said, okay, do I call in sick? And then what's the payoff and what happens of this? And if I am so loaded that I can't make good, thoughtful decisions, because I'm in that fight, flight, or freeze mode constantly, Mm-hmm. you know, how do you get out and break, break that cycle? And I think that that's what I so love about what you're doing with getting by that kind of mm-hmm. helps people start to actually truly get what that's like, and maybe look at how we can be more, more helpful. So, so I think that's probably a great way to say, can you talk about getting by and maybe even walk us through some of the examples and scenarios? Because I think sure. it's so fascinating. Sure. So getting by is uh, presents as a game. Um, and it is designed such that as you're playing, your brain is crowded. Uh, it piles up different kinds of scarcity. You only have 30 seconds for your turn. Um, there are chance cards that come up that you have no decision to make. Um, there are everyone, we call them everyone cards, uh, a situation that affects everyone playing. Um, so it's like you live in the same neighborhood, so a power outage or school is closed, something like that, right? Um, So you also have the lack of control. You have um, limited, we call them assets, um, with which to make decisions. So you don't have unlimited time and energy. So you might want to drive your sister to the methadone clinic every morning because she has to go every day in order to feed her children. but you'd have to spend spend some of your goodwill at your work because you're going to be late for work every day. Um, so, so it's these trade-offs that people are being forced to make in very short time periods, which yeah. I will tell you from going through just a few scenarios, you walked our uh, paradigm pioneer community through it. And so mm-hmm. many people said, oh my gosh, I'm getting stressed out just yeah. in this little time period. It was like, oh, that's <laughs> awful. Can I hit a pause button? Like, give me more time. Yeah. No, there isn't. That that's the thing. There there isn't. Um, and I know I share this with your with your group too. But one of my favorite examples was um, I've had physicians play, and uh, the scenario is that the emergency room nurse is calling you um, about your child. You've been to the emergency room a few times recently because of um, her asthma attack. And they want to set you up with a primary care physician so you are, are out of the emergency room. Um, and these are programs that insurers and Medicaid plans do nationwide. <laughs> Trying to get people to out of the emergency room and into a primary care, right? So um, this physician got this scenario. And she didn't have the time and energy. She hung up on him. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, she told me later, I didn't even feel bad about it. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my hope is that people see the scenarios in the game and the scenarios in the game all come from public sources or my own work. Um, they're all true to life. They're all, uh, all the options are realistic. Uh, I have had low income people play and they said, yes, that's exactly what it's like. This is um, my life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those are the options. Uh, and those are the realistic situations that come up. Um, and so that's part of the design that the person playing the game gets to see a lot of different life situations, food, uh, work, family, um, you know, uh, healthcare, medical care, drugs, and, and all of those kinds of things, they get to see an action in the course of the game. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. And obviously we'll put links to it in the, in the show notes and have people go, go check it out. Cause you can deliver it for groups in a variety of, of facets. Mm. So hopefully people will do it because it's very eye opening and educational. And what I will say is that, you know, I think for me, when you brought it to our group, you know, when people talk about people living in poverty or talk about people experiencing poverty, I think we can sometimes have a very myopic view of what that looks like, right? If someone just maybe got a better paying job or better housing. And and what I love and appreciate about getting by is it brings in all the facets of we don't think about, yeah, well, if you have a sick kid, what are you doing? What's the trade-off? And, you know, you're one lost paycheck away from being evicted and, you know, you don't have food on your table. And yeah, what about the medical decisions? And you know, everything is a trade-off and, and I, I sound like a broken record, but what I appreciate is if we can just have a moment of empathy and recognize that it's what's happening in your brain, right? So if you look at someone and say, oh, why are they making that decision? Or why are they making that decision? Or think about anybody who's been around a teenager and you're like, why, why weren't you thinking? <laughs> well, you weren't thinking because your prefrontal cortex is shut down and you're in fight, flight, or freeze. And if someone's constantly operating in that stage and you expect them to make a cognitive, rational thought or or be able to think long-term or anything. And I, I, I feel like we don't, we don't consider that enough when we are looking at whether it is a public health intervention, whether people are working in wellness, employers, community members, there's just so much that we could do if we just recognize this and looked at, if we're going to have an inclusive society, inclusive workplaces, that there's ways we could all show up like right now to be better and more helpful, knowing that there's so many people that this is their daily life. And so so I want to transition with that into you have these seven F's for how we can shift our approach um, to actually be more helpful and inclusive with people who are experiencing or living in poverty. Can you go through, go through those with us? Yep. So the idea is to walk through your service or your program, whatever you're doing at, at, at your work with low income people. And at each step, take these factors into account. Um, so the first one is family. So uh, I'll grab them all up. Uh, afford, family, fetch, flexibility, focus, food, and roof. Uh, so family. Does the, 
does the program or, or activity require a person to have childcare or time away from his family? Do they have to have, does it work if the person has a child with him or her? Uh, fetch, is the person expected to be able to travel to other locations? So for example, um, I don't, I hope not many physician practices do this anymore, but um, it would be a, a unstated assumption that if a physician gave you a prescription that you had a way to get to the drugstore. Uh, and then once you got to the drugstore, there's the afford part um, that the drug requires a copay. Or maybe it's not even uh, a prescribed drug, it's something over the counter that has to be purchased. Can they pay for that? Flexibility. Does the function require the person to miss work or other commitments? So, uh, you know, a heating assistance program where the uh, application uh, support is only available nine to five, for example. Um, focus. Does does the service or activity require a person to shut out other mental distractions or read printed materials? Donna Beagle has done a lot of work around this. Low-income people are tend to be more oral-oriented and less print-oriented. So, yeah, how often do we do a, here's a flyer, or here's right. a pamphlet, or learn about this, or go to our website, assuming that yep. they even have access to a computer, or that they can travel and get to a library? Because this is what I used to hear a lot that drove me bonkers when I worked in worksite wellness. Where mm -hmm. there'd be some of these vendors that everything was portal based, and they want to be, and we would talk about we have people who are very low income and rural or whatnot, and their solution was, well, there's free computers at public libraries everywhere, and I'm like, mm, and you're assuming that someone living in rural somewhere anyway, there's a library remotely near them, and then like, do they need childcare, yeah, and they have right. to get there, and yeah, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> and maybe face a librarian who's not that friendly, right, know, or anything like that. Um, food. So does the, does the activity assume that the person has food available or is the problem made worse by not having food available or um, all those food related issues? And then roof. This is a little more subtle than it sounds. Um, so that by roof, we mean not just housing, but everything that goes with housing. So um, this came out in the pandemic. How many uh, children did not have internet access at home? Um, yep. Or, you know, I think it's half of all um, children in low-income families have a utility shut off at some point during the year. Ugh. So electricity. So this assumption that um, these, these low-income children just need to do their homework. They don't have a place to do it. Yeah. Well, there even, you know, what that makes me think of is, I mean, I'm fortunate, I'm privileged. I live in a very, um, I live in an upper middle class neighborhood and we moved here because of schools and my son goes to a really good school and all that. And I feel very lucky for that. 
And even our school district, they, you know, would send out the notification during the pandemic of, you know, if you're participating in the free meals program and, you know, here's how you go pick it up. But what this makes me think of is, okay, so even if, you know, the various school districts that are serving low-income communities, you know, still were offering free meals during the pandemic, then you have the, 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 the transport thing, like, Who's going to go, who's going to go get it, you know? And if I don't have utility in my apartment. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the middle of the day when the pickup times are, but yet you got to be working. And again, what's that trade-off? I mean, this is just so fascinating when you don't, you just don't realize how many trade-offs there are. Anyway, sorry. about. Yeah. It's all so crowded. And then to expect this, one of the things I do after people have played for 45 minutes and they're just like totally worn out basically by that point is I say, okay, so at what point during the game did you think, when am I going to take up yoga? (laughs) (laughs) How am I going to save for these kids' college funds? So just the absurdity of layering onto that these long-term benefits, you know, long-term activities that would would not cross your mind. Would yeah. never cross your mind during that. Like, okay, if that didn't occur to you that whole time you were playing. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Well, I I love that on multiple levels. And again, if I go back to what it makes me think of, is whether you know you are you know own a small business or you work at a large business or you know when you look at every single business needs customers of some some sort, and maybe it's a business to business, right? Or maybe it's a business to consumer. But, you know, it makes me start thinking about everything from, you know, your local store to whether it's, you know, an online person or a school or whatever it might be or a nonprofit. What I love about what you put together is if we're truly going to be inclusive and serve people and, you know, give people an opportunity to thrive in this life, we have to look at, you know, where, I mean, I might not be a physician office or whatnot, and I may not have specific programs that can help people who are low income, but I can look at like, do I have print materials versus, you know, do I talk to people about this stuff or how do I get the word out or how do I help uh, alleviate or not, you know, contribute further to cognitive load or simply how can I make sure I'm not insensitive to it by your, oh, pay attention to this long-term thing when that's not even literally biologically feasible in that moment. Right. Right. And, you know, I, it, the, the best thing at a community level that, uh, so imagine a low-income community, the best thing that you could do for them is to put in programs and supports so that the children graduated from high school. Hmm. That's the number one thing that would have an impact <laughs> on your long-term health. That's not, you know, let's have them, let's try to get, try to get them to do more sit-ups or eat more carrots or anything like that. Get them, graduate, you know, and do whatever that takes. Um, that is much more important for quality of life and health than these sort of surface level biology tasks. Yeah. Yeah. Give, give them a Fitbit or, you know, get them hooked up on a social network or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, 
again, we're going to put notes in the show notes and everything. And I, I would just highly encourage everybody listening to this to, to go check it out. It is fascinating. I, I think the prices are super reasonable. You can bring it into groups. And I just think it, it opens your mind in a way like probably never before. And then um, go back and listen to my episode with Safwan uh, about, you know, like what businesses can do. And just, I think there's just so much synergy. And one of the things I love about what you're doing as well, Linda, is the whole purpose of this podcast being show up as a leader is anchored on our definition that we have in our rehumanizing the workplace book, that leadership at its core is a behavior. It's not a title or a role. And that we define leadership as maximizing our positive impact on the world by becoming our best fully authentic selves and supporting those around us to break past barriers and step into their greatness. And I say that because so many people think, oh, you know, I have to lead people in an organization or I have to do that. And you at such a broad level by bringing this important issue and awareness to light are showing up as a leader in so many ways that I think is underserved, underrepresented. And I just so like appreciated on so many levels. I mean, it's, it's, it's awakened me as well. Yeah, you're welcome. One of the things that I also uh, know about being uh, showing up as a leader in our life is that there's besides the scarcity and and cognitive load that we all can experience to various degrees, but not certainly to the degree that someone who's living with low income does is that we all at some level tell ourselves stories that help us feel safe, but keep us small and and limit, right? And hold us back from showing up as a leader. So this is a question that I ask all of my guests. What is a self-limiting story, Linda, that you find yourself telling yourself? And then when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so you can still show up as a leader? Mm -hmm. So uh, one of my early play sessions, test play sessions with the game, I, I guess you would call it sort of an imposter kind of thing. Like, I just really made this up. <laughs> and it's probably not that, you know, uh, important or uh, valuable. Um, but I forced myself to do it anyway. Um, and at that, uh, one of my very early play sessions, I could see that people were getting stressed. And um, also at one of the tables of the, of the group, you play in groups of four, somebody uh, kept getting the chance card and they kept getting good things. <laughs> and it created some tension with the other people at the table. And I thought, this really is doing something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of a feel the fear, but do it anyway. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of a quote that's, and I can't remember who said it and I'm going to botch it, but it's something along the lines of that courage is not acting in the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and Mm -hmm. choosing to act anyway. Like that's courage. Yes. And so now I have a lot less of that fear um, in terms of, well, this is, you know, something I just kind of made up, quote unquote made up. Um, 
even though it's heavily researched, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. And I've also, it's also been played at, you know, conventions and, um, you know, things where it's been well received. So I can, I can see that it works. Uh, it does what I had hoped for basically. Yeah. Um, I love it. So yeah, feel the fear and do it anyway. Love it. Love it. So with that, what is an impactful way that you are showing up as a leader, both in your professional life these days, as well as your personal life these days? I think it's the um, keep on keeping on, continuing to have faith that this is going to, this can help, that this can have a positive impact in the world. And I'm just going to keep looking for places to be open to it. And and I have, I mean, it's going to be played at a public health um, convention next week after next. Um, and I just have got to keep plugging away at it. Um, so I'm always reaffirming, yes, and that the message of this is important to me professionally. And that I have the confidence to just keep going and saying, okay, this place doesn't have the funding to do a session, fun. I'm moving on. You know, I'm I'm gonna find where it will bring the most benefit to the world. I'm just gonna keep working. I love that. You know, one question that just popped in my head is as getting by gets out into the world more and more groups, organizations, associations, and it can be done virtually as well. It doesn't have to be in person, obviously with today's day and age of still being physically separated. What is your hope that getting by is going to do in, in the world as more people are exposed to it? Mm-hmm. What I hope is that people say, wow, I'm going to go back to my team and I'm going to walk through our school. I'm going to walk through our medical practice. I'm going to, you know, walk through this with new eyes and see what are barriers that we're creating. The assumption is, has been that, you know, these people just need to work harder and all of the help is available to them, assuming that they are like baby birds, you know, <laughs> <laughs> beaks open, ready to receive, um, instead of knowing that they need help being prepared, being ready to be helped in a way. And even something as simple as stopping and asking why. A school might have a practice that if a student is partying three times, that they then get a detention. Instead of just continuing to do that and seeing that it's your low-income kids who are having this problem repeatedly, ask why. Or even your employees, right? I mean, that have like hourly workers or whatnot. If there's a system of, oh, you have, you know, too many tardies or too many demerits, look at who it is and and why and what, what... what is the barrier versus jumping to assumptions and, and punishment that isn't helpful for people? Right. And the, the reason that they are late, say that they are taking their sister to the methadone clinic every day before they go to work. <laughs> um, that's a caring person. Yeah. And maybe the work that you want them to be doing is also about caring. So Shocking if we had workplaces that were human and cared about people. Hmm, What a concept. What amazing. Right. Instead of, you know, that I can get another robot, you know, I can get another human box. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
to replace you. So yeah, if, if people can come away from this and say, yes, I can see it in a different way now, that's my goal. Well, I will say that we didn't play the full game. We played a snippet of it and you've already done that for me. And I think a lot of people in our, our group. So that that's awesome. That's awesome. Great. So I want to switch over. This is the quick questions section that I ask all my guests. And it's just to kind of, uh, they start a little bit more thoughtful. They get a little bit more silly, but it's just to show the human side and just kind of have a fun conversation if you're game for it. Sure. Awesome. So the first is a fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is. Breathing every moment. Nice. Love that. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Pray. <laughs> there you pray go. For, pray for willingness. Yeah. Nice. When's the last time you were courageous and how did you show up? I was the, I can't even call it coach. I was the accompaniment. I was the person accompanying my daughter to labor and delivery because her husband is in the army and could not go. Um, and she had no classes or prep. <laughs> oh, wow. So I just showed up and breathed. <laughs> that was your living authentically and being that courageous all at the same time. <laughs> probably why there's so many songs that are like titled breathe or just breathe or something. Right, right. Like. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What's something people would be surprised to know about you? I... I am a, I don't know if this would be surprising, but um, I love to knit and almost all of my knitting, I see I'm wearing something today that I knit, almost all of my knitting goes to the homeless. Oh, nice. Do you have a, do you have a, a specific garment or something that's your go-to or is it a little bit of everything? Um, well, not everything. I don't do sweaters and I, I don't do socks. Okay. Mittens are, mm, um, but you're not going to make the um, Bernie mittens. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, hats, scarves, uh, and, uh, fingerless mitts. I like, I like to do those. Yeah. That's awesome. That's super cool. All right. So now we're going to get into some fun ones. So the next one is what I like to use sometimes as a icebreaker. You could use it maybe, uh, you know, at one of your next events, I don't don't remember where I got it, but here we go. So it's called the four C's. And this is if reality, scarcity, money, nothing was an object. What car would you want to drive? What country would you want to visit? What cuisine would you want to eat? And it does not have to be related to the country. And then what celebrity living or dead would you want to eat that cuisine with? Okay. The car, I actually got to test drive the electric BMW, mm. the all electric BMW. That was pretty nifty. Very cool. That is cool. Let's see. Cuisine, American contemporary, like, you know, salmon on salad, blueberry, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> very, very light, fresh, fresco yes. type. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, country. I guess just for the, I just some place that was warm and had turquoise water, ocean water. Yeah, yeah. Um, and celebrity, huh? Meryl Streep. Oh, she'd be interesting. She would definitely be interesting. Yeah, someone like that. 
Actually, Meryl Streep's a good segue into the next question, believe it or not. (laughs) What's your favorite go-to movie? Um, uh, Mystery, but not very scary. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) So so some kind of mystery, a little suspense. Got it. Suspense, fine, scary, no. Got it. Got it. Your go-to song? Lou Vega. Uh, Mambo number five. <laughs> I love that song. Little Monica in my yes, life. Yes. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mambo number five. <laughs> I love it. I can totally now hear it in my head. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so speaking of Mambo number five, your signature dance move. Oh, I probably don't have one. <laughs> Maybe it's the Mambo number five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In another life, your career or job would be? I really love what I'm doing. Nice. Maybe an attorney for, um, I, I'd, love, I'd love to be in law, actually. That, that would be good around um, justice for the poor. I find that interesting. That's awesome. What's something, and I say something lightly, it doesn't have to literally be a thing, but what's something you can't live without? Probably my um, beach walk. Lovely. Sounds heavenly. Yeah. Something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? My cat. Your cat? What's your cat's name? Snoopy. Snoopy? Because he, he's very, yeah, he's very nosy. <laughs> Snoopy the cat. I love it. That's awesome. And last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? I am grateful for the work that I have. I have just wonderful clients that I really enjoy that um, grateful and uh, joyful about the opportunities to bring it much more. That's awesome. Well, I already said this, but it's such important work. It is eye-opening. It does completely shift your perspective. And I just think that you're doing incredible, incredible work. And anything we can do to help get the, the word out, I'm just a huge advocate and appreciative of, of you showing up as a leader to, to bring this to light. So thank you so much for our conversation. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And yeah, just thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Show Up as a Leader. If you haven't yet subscribed, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Rosie Ward, and you can find me online at drrosieward.com, where you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter, check out the books I'm reading, and hear from the people I'm talking to. You can also get more information on what I'm up to professionally, including my coaching and speaking services. You can also find me on LinkedIn at rward, Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Rosie Ward, or email me at rosie at drrosieward.com. And I just want to remind you to remember that you have the choice every day to show up as a leader. So choose courage over comfort, embrace your humanity, and never, ever dull your sparkle. Take care, everyone.